at a certain point for me, comfort, which is what most people would think of as a regular lifestyle. I've got my home, I've got my car, I've got my job, I've got my book club, I've got my friendship group, um, I've got my schedule, you know. At a certain point for me, that kind of a cocoony life is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so comfort to me then is reaching out for something new, mm -hmm. reaching out for something that's going to engage me a little bit more or um, excite me. That's Valerie Morris, and this is the Rain Studios podcast. Right. Hello friends, welcome back to the Rain Studios podcast. I am Rain Reed and this is episode nine of the Rain Studios podcast. So for any of you who are looking for change, looking for grounding, um, looking for help, getting back to your instinct and to your inner self and listening to your inner voice, um, this is a wonderful conversation for you. Uh, Valerie Morris shares her life story and speaks to, um, gosh, so many things. Big adventure, big um, bravery and courage as she tells tales of her experiences learning to surf and growing up in Southern California and being uh, one of the only women in the waves. And then she tells um, stories of rock climbing in her relationship with this sport as she uh, did a lot of this with her son um, in his young teen years. And she uses this really beautiful analogy as rock climbing is like meditation and surfing is like shavasana. And man, when she said that, I just fell in love. And I think about it often to this day that... Um, you know, so I'll always have yogis on this podcast. Yoga is, was something that came to me in my life when I was 17 years old. And thank God, <laughs> thank God that my aunt brought me to my first yoga class, Cami Lewis. Anywho, um, so as I have shifted focuses and or sort of expanded focuses over um, the last four years since the birth of my son, um, but I, I'm always rooted in yoga. And if I ever find myself kind of floating away, which is often, um, it's a yoga practice that usually, that really helps bring me back. Um, also things like surfing, rock climbing, going for hikes, walks, getting outside, doing anything that you can to reconnect with nature. This is going to always help us um, reconnect with ourselves, reconnect with the divine, the earth mother, mother nature, whatever you want to call it, the source, God, anything. Um, but this episode, um, Valerie, is she's got the, the beauty of vulnerability. Um, she doesn't hold back. She tells a, you know great um, stories of great loss and sadness she tells stories of courage and um sort of mystical moments in her life um, she does also share her birth story which is um, a medical birth um and she was in australia so the practices were pretty different and um very interesting um 
so yeah and and the one huge gem there's a lot of gems in this conversation but one really big one is the poem that Valerie wrote um, about her son and she had us both in tears (laughs) as she was reading it aloud so um, yeah I enjoy this conversation so much. Thank you, Valerie, for spending this time with me. And thank you for um, allowing me to share it with uh, the podcast. So I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Valerie Morris. Valerie, thank you for coming. (laughs) Yes, so we are um, graced with Valerie today. And we are going to begin with really fun topics. Surfing climbing what came first the chicken or the egg (laughs) the surf or the climb yeah interesting well I came I came to surfing first but only as a spectator really Mm. it was something that I felt like I really wanted to do um and I had a surfboard, but I wasn't very good. Where are we geographically in the world? This was in Newport Beach, California. Okay. Yeah. I was born in Oregon, but my parents divorced when I was very young. And when I was 10, I moved to Southern California to live with my mom and my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And it was there that I fell in love with the ocean. And used to go to the beach all the time and mm-hmm. watch the surfers. And girls didn't surf very much in yeah. those days. But I got my hands on a board and I tried. What year are we? 72, 3, 4. Yeah. So, <laughs> late teens. And I, body, I boogie boarded and body surfed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And then... Are you in a wetsuit? Oh, in Southern California, you have to... We, we called them spring suits or long johns. Uh-huh. So long johns is long legs but no sleeves. Okay. And a spring suit is short legs and short sleeves. Got it. So it just depends on the water temperature. Yeah. Um, it's not so bad down there as it is here in Oregon where you have to wear everything covered from head to toe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to Oregon to go to college and then I got married and moved to Australia and I always had this dream that eventually I was going to go around the world in like an endless summer kind of a thing and and really learn to surf and I really really desperately wanted to learn to surf in warm water yeah (laughs) so in my Australia years I again went to the beach a few times borrowed a any old board I could get my hands on and and did a lot of flailing. (laughs) Um, But then um, after I had my son uh, and was living in Portland, Oregon, he got into rock climbing and then I got into rock climbing. Mm. So this is when he was a teenager, so... Or uh, like a tweener. Yeah, (laughs) a tweener. Um, And so that would have been uh, mid-90s mid-90s, late-90s, early 2000s. And so he got into rock climbing, so I got into rock climbing too. I had been skydiving and then got into rock climbing with him. And also I had been a skier, but he loved to snowboard. So, you know, I Mm. was the mom with all the kids in the car going to the mountain or going to the rock climbing place to camp and climb and whatnot. It was awesome. Where did you guys climb? Outdoors is my thing. Um, we climbed a lot at Smith Rock State Park. Yeah. 
but we also took some really cool trips. We went to Yosemite a couple of times. Mm-hmm. We went to Lake Tahoe, um, the uh, Owens Gorge down in near Bishop. We didn't actually get to climb there, though. Our trip kind of waylaid us. But mm. anyway. <laughs> um, Adventures nonetheless. Yeah, rock climbing. Well, that was so interesting to me because... I had done it indoors a couple of times, and having just come off of a few years of skydiving, I thought rock climbing would be like so boring. Mm. <laughs> so boring. And then I tried it, yeah. and I realized that it's the closest thing to meditation that I could achieve without meditating. Yeah. Because there isn't anything that invades your mind when you're trying to climb the wall yeah, without falling. Because falling is not good. Right. Even though you have a rope <laughs> yeah. and you're very safe with all the gear, mm. it's still not good. No. Nobody wants to fall. Oof. Yeah. And so I found, as a single mom, climbing a non-profit corporate ladder, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless, it was, you know, moving up through various levels of supervision and management. Mm-hmm. Uh, the times that I could get away and get on the rock was just so releasing for me in terms of um, giving me a fresh perspective on life and, and not only the demands of life, but what I wanted to do with my life, how I wanted to live my life. Mm, so. Beautiful. And then my son graduated and went off to college, and I was able to finally start in on my, I'm going to go learn to surf in a warm beach. My endless summer. Yeah, my endless summer, yeah. Well, I made it as far as Tamarindo, Costa Rica. Nice. (laughs) Lived there for five years. (laughs) So much for (laughs) traveling the world, but... I did have warm water and a sandy beach. You lived there for five years? Mm-hmm. And I had a uh, really good instructor, so I learned to surf. Yeah. And then I had just an amazing, amazing time surfing. Oh. Yeah. Is that where you had your... Yeah, the accident. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Belle has a fierce scar on her arm that... Is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I want the story. Yeah. Uh, you want me to tell that story? No, that's a long story. Oh, and we want it. We want it. You do? Okay. Yeah. If you do. If uh, you want it. Oh, well, I don't mean, I don't mind telling it. Um, no, actually, I went to Costa Rica to go to surf camp. I was there for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Right before I went, I had been offered another promotion at work. Mm. And I had accepted it, and then I went off on this vacation. And while I was on my vacation, I reminded myself that this is what I want to be doing with my life. And mm-hmm. I'm at the time I was 52, mm-hmm. and I thought if I accept that promotion, I will be doing that work, which is you know a 60, 70 hour a week job. Um, in Portland. Managing a lot of people, living in Portland, but managing a lot of people in a five-state area. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and I, I just felt like if I waited until I was 65 to start surfing, it just wasn't going to happen. 
And if I'd waited, I'd still be waiting today because <laughs> I just turned 64 last, like, a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. happy birthday. So, thank you. Um, so, I went back to Portland and chewed my fingernails for a couple of weeks and then called my boss and said, you know that job I just accepted? I'm not going to do that. Oh, that's I'm amazing. I'm going to tender my resignation <laughs> instead. And... Um, so I stayed for seven more weeks so that they could find somebody to replace my old position and I could train her. And then um, I went to Costa Rica. I was there for three months. I wasn't able to find a living situation and a job situation that, and at you know, 52, I still needed to work. I mean, I mm -hmm. didn't have retirement funds to access. Mm -hmm. So um, I went back to the states but I went to Southern California where I grew up and I still had friends one of my stepsisters husband was a physician and so they gave me a part-time job in the office for something to do while I was looking for full-time work and I had met a guy in Costa Rica that I was sort of dating and so I was visiting him occasionally so the whole surfing accident happened at Del Mar which is just north of San Diego oh. and I, um, I I just took off late on a wave in a bad position and the wave broke mm. into my head and knocked mm. me forward and so I was tumbling and um, when you surf and you fall, you're always looking for length in your leash, like it's tugging on your ankle, so you know your board's far away from you. And if you can't feel that tug, then you know your board's close by. Mm. So you put your arms up to protect yourself, you protect your head. So I was kicking to the surface, put my arms up, instantly oh. felt my arm go numb. Mm. And it turned out that uh, the fin had gone in my arm and shredded my ulnar nerve. Didn't just cut it, but it somehow managed to hook it and stretch it. And it mm. stretched apart and it had all these little filament ends. So um, ultimately what happened is they took a nerve out of my leg and put it in my arm. And I, so I'm sporting a couple of pretty... Exciting scars. Super fierce. <laughs> so fierce. Yeah. Oh, that, so, but it didn't happen in beloved five-year Costa Rica. Well, and it was just, it was in, yeah. In I had just been there for two weeks and then three months. Right. So, interestingly, uh, because of the surgery and the recovery, I wasn't really able to work because I had my hand in this cast. <laughs> and every week I would go to physical therapy and they would, loosen my cast up five degrees so that mm. my arm could slow because it's all about the healing and not stretching the nerve too much too soon and mm -hmm. all of that so I, I decided well I'm not working my friend lives in Costa Rica and has offered me a place to stay mm -hmm. well, I think I'll go down just go back there and then once I got there I ended up being offered a job in a surf camp and then I ended up staying and working and you instructed? I actually I didn't instruct surfing, but I did become a guide. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, it was really awesome. So wait, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a happy accident, which again, yes. that's why I love podcasts. But yeah. so, can you speak a little bit more about your like? That's a huge decision. So you were just given a promotion. Mm -hmm. You're 52, mm -hmm. and you're like, I want to follow my dream and like live a surfing lifestyle and you 
did it? Like, how did you do that? Because that is a lot. I feel like a lot of people are at that moment, and not everybody can, not everybody can have your story. But what, like, what is that? What was that? <clears throat> was it a dream? Was it a rock climb? Was it a grab? <laughs> like, I would say it was a slow unpacking of what my vision of happiness was. I felt, um, I mean, there are a lot of uh, personal things that went into that decision, personal influences, some things that my mother said to me over the years about regrets that she had about not following up on things that were her personal dreams in favor of a more traditional lifestyle and a marriage. And I just felt like, I had spent many years thinking that, okay, when I turn 50, my son's going to turn 18, he's going to go off to college, I'm going to go on my surfing adventure. Mm-hmm. And a few things happened, and that got delayed by a couple of years. And I just, at that moment when I was... So, <laughs> so I went to Costa Rica with my friend Jessica on this two-week surf camp vacation. I had tried to go the year before with another friend who bailed on me at the last minute, and I didn't want to go alone. Mm-hmm. But then the next year, we were thinking about going again, and, and she said no, but then Jessica, I'm like, I'll go, I'll go. Mm. So we went together. And at that moment, I was still kind of wishing that I could do my around-the-world thing, but I also had this great opportunity, and I had was buying a house and, you know, living a pretty comfortable life. Um, But I was single and free. And I'll never forget it. It was our second day. And Jessica and I were standing on the edge of the surf camp, looking across the sand, watching the sunset. And she looked at me. And then she looked back to the sunset, and then she looked at me again, and she said, oh, my God, you're going to move here, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I think I am. (laughs) I have chills everywhere. That's what it was. It was just like that. It was like I felt so comfortable in that place. And even though I'd only been there two days, I just, I felt comfortable there and I did not feel comfortable in my happy life in Portland right. you know it was my, my happy life in Portland was what everyone expected me to be doing including my ex-husband who was my, my co-partner when it, we divorced when Ben was nine mm-hmm. and so this was years later mm-hmm. but nonetheless Don and I had co-parented Ben very successfully mm-hmm. um, even though we had split up mm-hmm. in our marriage. Um, but he and everybody else just expected me to keep doing this traditional mm-hmm. make money, save money for retirement, go to work every Monday through Friday, you know, do the things, take a vacation. Somehow, I think, I think when I was a kid, we moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. I lived in 14 different places before I was 10, just because my dad, just circumstances. 
and then I moved to Newport Beach and I fell in love with the beach and I lived there for 10 years in that one location. And I remember at that time thinking, why would anybody want to live somewhere else besides a place like this? I want to... And then all my friends in, in high school and college talking about, oh, well, I'm going to get a job, and here's where I want to go on vacation. I want to go on vacation to this place and that place and the other place. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I want to go to the big city on a vacation, and I want to live where everybody else wants to come on vacation. And I think that just clicked for me when I was in Tamarindo. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of comments from people when I went back to uh, Portland and quit my job. And, and sold your house? And sold my house. Oh my no, actually, I, I rented my house out for two years. Oh, okay. And then I sold it after two years of being in Costa Rica because I was committed to living there. Mm -hmm. um, I ultimately left because my mother was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 uh, lung cancer, and I wanted to come home and be with her. And I, so I, I did that and um, nursed her uh, through the last eight months of her life and through hospice. And... and um, and then I just didn't feel the same when I went back. Mm -hmm. uh, things had changed. The town had grown. Um, it just, it was different. Mm -hmm. So here I am still in Oregon. And you come back. <laughs> Five years later. Yeah. 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 But that was like such an important time for growth, mm -hmm. I imagine. And you... Yeah. Yeah, I I was worried that a lot of people would think I was crazy, <laughs> but it was interesting to me that 98% of the comments I got from people were positive comments. They were like, I wish I had the guts to do what you're doing. Totally. You know, and I didn't really see it as a that gutsy of a mm -hmm. move, but maybe because I had a home. Mhm. Mm and I had a retirement account. Mm -hmm. Even though I wasn't drawing on it, I knew that money was there. I had that cushion. Mm -hmm. So I feel really, really fortunate. Like, like, you know, I mean, I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. So yeah. it's not like I was rich yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. I have no, no trust fund, never received an inheritance of any kind. But mm -hmm. I just felt like within myself... I had a little safety net, mm -hmm. and I have an adventurous spirit. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I've just always had a little bit of an adventurous spirit, a little bit of a risk taker. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't hard for me to make the decision and go. Awesome. That's yeah. so cool. Well, and yeah, and I'm in in our emails back and forth about this conversation. You had said, you know. Climbing is the meditation and yes, surfing, surfing is shavasana. shavasana. Yeah, and that's really true for me. Um, climbing is is like meditation because it's really a way to shut everything else out. Mm -hmm. um, so not a loving kindness meditation, but a very <laughs> internalized. <laughs> Do or die yeah, meditation. <laughs> but pre uh -huh. I mean, I do feel you right. on just the ability to be present. Right, exactly. I mean, because you... Fully present, fully, fully aware. Yeah. yeah. And all the senses are like heightened in a way that mm -hmm. almost because of that danger element, mm -hmm. it like, it kicks you back in your instinctive brain, mm -hmm. which is something that, um, that I talk about a lot and right. think about a lot and yeah. the instinctive yeah. brain and how important that is for 
for modern humans to remember that like we all have that instinctive brain. Yeah, yes. Exactly. And we can access it and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And so but how surfing as Shavasana. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, surfing is, uh, You know, they're just, just you paddle out. It's definitely physical work. Yeah. Especially the paddling part. Right. Um, but sitting on your board at sunrise, uh, of course, now we're on the Pacific, so sunrise is coming up over the mountains mm-hmm. behind us, mm-hmm. like over the hills or whatever, the landmass. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking out to watch the waves that are coming in, surfing in the morning is awesome because you're not looking into the sun, whereas yeah. at sunset, you know, it's also awesome, but you're looking into the sun, and so yeah. you're squinting a lot, and it's just <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, it's just no matter what time of day it is, just sitting on the board without any of the trappings of daily life. You know, you don't have your phone out there. There's nobody blasting a boombox or some other, you know, music or, or mm-hmm. speech or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, most You have a little bit of conversation with your board mates mm-hmm. whether you know them or not but not much mm-hmm. you know it's mostly just companionable silence mm-hmm. and then when you paddle into a wave and you pop up to stand there's this like little rush of adrenaline mm-hmm. but because my chosen style of surfing is longboarding mm-hmm. not ripping up and down the face you're just sort of gliding along and then that gliding along is just the most blissful experience Mm -hmm. and and it's very different from yoga shavasana where you're in the space of the studio Mm -hmm. or wherever you're practicing Mm -hmm. but it's a similar kind of internal bliss Mm -hmm. I always (laughs) called it like the dropping in on the wave was my exhale uh, it was like the longest exhale. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> That's a really great analogy. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. I was kind of thinking about like climbing is kind of like an in, it's like an inhale. It's like a, uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, <laughs> right. you know, my parallel to mm-hmm. your that beautiful mm-hmm. statement that you made about climbing yeah. is meditation and surfing is shavasana. I mean, you got to put that on something somewhere. <laughs> I don't want to say on your tombstone, but like definitely no, there too. That's a good idea. <laughs> definitely but, there yeah, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, and, and when you're sitting out in the silence, like waiting for the wave, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, I, I learned so much about myself. I mm. felt like when I was surfing, because I had a sort of similar, like, you know, and I was alone. You know, I went to Hawaii alone, mm. and I was out there, and mm-hmm. it. But like, I, I just, I felt this, this like not like, you know, and like getting under waves, doing the duck dives, mm-hmm. and like, and and there was work. You had to get out, and oh, then when yeah. you're there, and you're there, and you can really wait, mm-hmm. and like you could wait a long time, mm-hmm. you know, for like a decent whether wave you want or to or not, whether you want to or not. And then, but what's so cool is that like you're in this peaceful place and you're not, yeah, you're not looking to check your phone. You're not looking to like do whatever we do on land, you know, and you're just like calmed by the sea and yeah, I think there's something in the floating, you know, 
the well it's flow yeah. I mean like it's literally flow state mm-hmm. and that's what mm-hmm. we've been talking about that with some friends of mine like a DJ friend of mine and she calls herself she's also a yoga teacher oh. and she's Felice but she ha- she calls it like Felice flow uh-huh. and which is happy like her name means happy and it's like happy flow and then I was telling her about flow state and mm-hmm. how there's now like doctors are studying flow state in in um, athletes mm-hmm. and how they achieve this flow state and and that's where we really that's so I guess it's bliss like that's what you said this sort yeah, of blissful because yeah. it's not happiness it's not like this sort of contemporary happiness Ooh, what are we looking at the time no oh <laughs> oh nice oh we can always push the pause oh look at that magic so you couldn't do that from your board <laughs> no, no. I hope I laughed. Would it. not even have my keys with me. No. <laughs> well, actually, yes, I would. One key. One in key my in ankle. the little pocket. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh! Anyway. Too cool. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, do you miss it? Like, well, I guess this one will take this moment. So now you're back in Oregon, and now you have taken care of your mother, and your mother travels to the next dimension Mm -hmm. you are assumed the role of the owner of eugene yoga yeah well there was a few years in between those two events okay um when i came back from costa rica i um came to eugene because my son was here he was Ah. in grad school and my mom was in grants pass um but my stepfather was also in grants pass and that's a whole nother story that we don't need to touch on but there was some tension okay and uh so I was close enough to be able to go down and stay a few nights and then come back and the um facility that my mom was in um were was uh, was awesome she had a private room and the nursing staff would always set up. She was in a memory care facility. She, mm. Her lung cancer metastasized to her brain, mm. and she had three tumors removed from her brain, two, two tumors removed from her brain. Mm. And, uh, and then they fired her with this nasty radiation and just fried her brain. Oh it was God. awful. It was just awful. I don't mm, think they yeah. needed to do the radiation, but they did, and it, it was horrible. They burned her skull. They... Mm. It, she just anyway so my sister and I would um would travel down sometimes alternate weekends sometimes we would be there on the same weekend um but we would just stay they would set up a bed for us in mom's room and we would just stay there with her and so I got to spend a lot of really good quality time with her and she had plenty of moments of lucidity she Mm -hmm. knew she knew who we were and and she would talk about things but then sometimes she would drift off and I don't know be having random conversations with somebody that another world yeah exactly (laughs) which is common yeah Um, Getting ready for the transition. Approaching a transition like that, yeah. But because I was living in Eugene, and I this her illness when I first came back from Costa Rica, they she had a really bad infection, and they thought that she wouldn't make it. And uh, so I actually closed. I had a small bed and breakfast there, and um, in Eugene. No, in Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I just I gave everything away, closed the doors. Within 48 hours, I was home. 
And so I needed to work since I was going to, obviously, mom's um, life was prolonged much beyond two weeks that they initially said. Mm -hmm. And so I I ended up getting a job here in, um, in Eugene and got an apartment and um, just was sort of, you know, living life, making some friends, going climbing again, Mm -hmm. surfing a couple of times at the Oregon coast, but it's just so cold. So cold. Oh, the wetsuit is... uh, um, The opposite of shavasana or meditation. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a straitjacket. But then um, I had a really bad year in... Uh, let's see, what is this, 2019, 2016. Mm-hmm. So my mom passed in 2014. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, um, I lost five very close family members. Um, and and it just set me in a little bit of a tailspin. At the same time? No, just... Could... No, within a span of 11 months. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. And um, the first one was the worst. That was my brother. and He committed suicide and um, just, like, shocked us all. And then my stepfather and then my uncle and then one of my dear, dear, dear closest girlfriends that uh, here in Eugene. I didn't know her for very long, but we just clicked. Mm -hmm. And uh, her, she was in breast cancer remission, but it came back with a vengeance three months later she was gone and then my 19 year old love a kitty had um, kidney problems and oh. she was gone so all of that happened within five uh, and your months. mom my mom was two years two before years that. before she yeah. okay wow wow so that was what sent me to yoga teacher training <laughs> I, I really I had been practicing yoga regularly when I was in Costa Rica mm-hmm. and then I practiced irregularly um, over the next couple of years but then as I was going through all of this stuff I started practicing more and more and then I decided that I just I really this is not again the life that I want to be living Um, circumstances choices I made definitely brought me here but circumstances um, are, are just you know it's a it's a a hand of cards, mm-hmm. and you can change out the cards at any time. You don't have to keep those cards in your hand if you don't like them. Mm-hmm. You get to pick. And so I just picked something different. And I went to yoga teacher training and started teaching and thinking that, okay, oh, this will get me back to my around-the-world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to teach yoga and surf if I go you know, to these different places around the world. There, there's a lot of them that you can go to and mm-hmm. teach yoga uh, in exchange for room and board, and I don't need a fancy life, so I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do training at Eugene Yoga? No, I okay. did it at another local studio there. Okay. Um, but I was offered the opportunity to start teaching at Eugene Yoga, mm-hmm. and... Um, then over the course of three years um, of leaving town and then coming back again and then leaving and then coming back again, um, I just ended up 
having more and more conversations with the owners and I knew that Diane really badly wanted to sell the studio. She'd been doing it for eight years and she was just burnt out. Mm. Um, two studios is a lot for one person to manage. She had a manager and a husband who did all the bookkeeping and the taxes and everything. <clears throat> I've just got me. Mm -hmm. Although I do have my sister. She does my books, which is really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so so I just it I just sort of stumbled into helping more and more around the studio mm -hmm. as a manager because I had her managers left and I had experience and so she asked would I mind stepping in and and five months later I just decided to take the plunge and buy it. <laughs> take it off her her hands. Yeah, <laughs> take it off of her hands and Put it on my shoulders. That's right. And uh, yeah, so here we are. So yeah. here we are. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're doing a great job. Man, that's so, your story is blowing my mind. Here I thought uh -huh. I knew what I was getting into, and now I'm just like, oh. <laughs> well, we haven't started talking about birth. <laughs> no, we haven't. I think, I, I know, I don't even know if I want to go there yet. But, well, but that's I, okay. Well, we can... so, yeah, exactly, right? The deck of cards. I love what you just said about the hand of cards. It's mm -hmm. just so cool. Um, uh, one thing that you just said, though, and I, and I keep circling it on my notes here, is comfort. Mm -hmm. So you were, had your comfy life in Portland mm -hmm. before you left. Mm -hmm. And then you had, you know, and like when you could travel the world and teach yoga and surf, you could, what did you just say? You could have a very, you don't need a fancy lifestyle. I don't need a fancy life, yeah. So just... what does comfort even mean? to you and the like I guess the reason I say that is because again like so comfort and pain mm -hmm. are these things and that we've instinctually almost come we've come so far we don't really know what it is to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. um right. a certain aspect you know like here we are in like a 70 degree room and it's like 40 degrees outside and you know we go from our like comfortable air conditioned or you know heated house to our car and we monitor the temperature and then we get to our studio or to our office or where you know just constantly monitoring the comfort level and so do you even would you say that you find yourself comfortable in uncomfortable situations um well apparently apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I think I think that I have confidence in myself. Um, I think I got that from my parents, mm -hmm. um, but from my life experiences. I don't know whatever it is in my personality, whether I was born with it or it was conditioned into me, but I feel like um, I have confidence in my ability to manage different situations. Mm -hmm. I feel relatively comfortable dressing up fancy and going to a formal dinner and engaging in conversation there. And mm -hmm. I feel equally comfortable in my tent in the Bivy area at Smith Rock, mm -hmm. surrounded by climbers. Yeah. You know? um, and I don't, I don't really know where that comes from inside me. I just know that it's there. Yeah. So, 
So you don't it's, even really have like a preference to either of those situations. Like you can kind of. Oh, I'd much rather be in the bivy area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess yeah. what? Yeah, like and when you said when you were little, when you imagined home being like where people wanted to vacation and, mm-hmm. and the vice versa. Yeah. So yeah. Again, yeah. That's sort so. Of, um. I. I well, I guess I lost my train of thought. Um, Sorry, that was my fault. No, no. Or like comfort and pain. And, yeah. And oh, that's what I was thinking. Um, at a certain point for me, comfort, which is what most people would think of as a regular lifestyle, I've got my home, I've got my car, I've got my job, I've got my book club, I've got my friendship group, um, I've got my schedule, you know, at a certain point for me, that kind of a cocoony life is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so comfort to me then is reaching out for something new, mm-hmm. reaching out for something that's going to engage me a little bit more or um, excite me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't know why. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I, maybe I'd be an interesting psychological study for somebody <laughs> because I have done that a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. I, um, when I was the first time was when I was 17. Well, I guess the first time was when I was 10 and mm-hmm. elected to leave living with my father to go live with my mother in this unknown place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I was 17, I moved out and got my first apartment and then... I ended up back in Oregon going to school, but I dropped out and $63 in my pocket and put all my belongings in a VW bug and drove to Tahoe to be a ski bum for a winter. You know, I mean, I've just done things like that Mm -hmm. in my life and I've always, always landed on my feet. I have never, I mean, I've been through some difficult stuff. Definitely. (laughs) But, um... But I've never not come out of it uh, wiser, stronger, yeah. more compassionate. Um, have you ever been afraid of any of those change, those big transitions? Have I ever been afraid? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, asking myself. I have a couple of stories that I've written mm. and about like leaving this behind and why am I doing this, you know, and, and how, I don't know how this is going to feel on the other side. Um, but you know, one door opens, one door closes and another one opens Mm. is kind of a belief I have, I guess. So Mm. my intention, I think sets me up for success because I don't in, I don't, even though I'm scared I have some fear around making big change. The intention to have it be, to enjoy the experience, whatever it is that I'm going to, overrides the fear. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember my, my midwife mm. in my childbirth education classes saying to us, um, you're not here for a birth you're here for a baby. And so don't get caught up in this birth thing. It's going to be an amazing experience. 
whatever it is, mm-hmm. but you're really here for the baby. Yeah. And I feel kind of like that about some of the adventurous things I've done. It's mm-hmm. like I'm there for the experience, whatever that experience is going to be for me. Mm-hmm. But my intention is that it's going to be a good one or I wouldn't go do it. Right. And I think intention... Uh, sets the tone yeah and I wonder too if like because that and I love that you just so honestly admitted like yeah because in my head I was like she's gonna say like no she doesn't have any fear but right like so much fear that'd be so easy but right and but so you have the fear but but you but you ride through it you know Mm -hmm. or you you acknowledge it you thank it for being there and then you keep going forward which is really I don't know. I feel like in my own personal life, like, uh, that would be the roadblock sometimes, mm, you know, mm-hmm. would be like, well, I'm just afraid to do that. So nope, <laughs> you know, like I'll stick mm-hmm. with the comfortable thing. Yeah. Uh, and I want, I feel like, you know, that perhaps a lot of listeners might feel that way. And, you right, know, people right. in, in, in moments in their life where they're like, I could listen to that, that voice inside of me, or I can just keep doing this comfortable thing. Yeah. And again, like you said too, you know, you had outside influences and you had opinions and, you know, you're... Well, none of these were snap decisions either. Yeah. I mean, maybe when Jessica looked at me and said, oh my God, you're going to move here. And I said, yeah, I think I am. Mm-hmm. But I didn't call my boss and say, I'm not coming back. Right. You know, I went home and I chewed my nails literally for almost three weeks before I called her and said, I'm... I need to talk. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, you sort of have a, a scale, um, a balance scale, right? Mm-hmm. And at one point, or at what point, I think everyone needs to ask themselves, at what point is the desire to make this dream come true weighing heavier on the scale than the um, than the fear of giving up what you currently know. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, what they currently know is, is their thing. I mean, that's their thing. And, and I miss not having roots. I miss mm-hmm. that I don't still have my house in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did end up selling it. I wish that I had kept it. I would mm-hmm. like to have had that sense of being somewhere mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't trade all of the adventures that I've had mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. you know I feel like each one of us has to sort of maybe envision that scale for themselves mm-hmm. or whatever other analogy works definitely in order to decide have I regretted some of the choices I've made? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have I learned from every single choice? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The accountability mirror. Yeah. 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 Can't take credit for that, David Goggins. <laughs> but I think about it a lot, and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, and perhaps it's even coming back to like meditation and shavasana mm. in a way, because in our busy lives, how can we even take the time to like look at look at our life you know and look at what we're doing and looking look at like 
time, for example, like how much time do I spend doing this? And how much time do I spend doing this? And are these the things that I really, truly want to be doing? Like, am I fulfilled? And so, again, I love the responsible uh, the responsible thing that you just said, which is like, I didn't just decide, like, well, not going back. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, you did some some real... I did some soul searching. Some soul searching. Yeah. And, and it was... Yeah big changes but made mindfully and made mm-hmm. made mindfully but also with a pretty heavy dose of self-confidence yeah you know I think that uh, that confidence in myself to land on my feet wherever that springs from mm-hmm. that seems to be a, a source of um Support Would you call for it me? faith? I mean, in a non-religious way, but like sort of like faith in yourself, right? You know, yeah. I like... I think so. And sometimes it's like, well, what's the other option? Yeah. To, to not have faith in myself? Like, no, I'm not. I don't want to live my life that way. Yeah. I want to have faith in myself. I want to believe in my ability to take care of myself mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I believe in my ability to take care of myself a lot more than I believe in my ability to lead Eugene Yoga. <laughs> you know? Right, Although, right. on the other hand, I feel like, um, you know, to go back to what you were just talking about before, and I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of months, um, I'm an educator, and I always have been my whole life. And although I did end up becoming a pretty good manager and leader by, by all accounts, mm-hmm. um, it's not where my passion is. Right. right. And so I do feel like with Eugene Yoga, um, I'm spending my time in ways that are not bringing me internal peace and passion. Yeah. And until I can figure out how I can find some other people who want to do Eugene Yoga with me Mm -hmm. so that I can get back to teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to feel like I have a little bit of a hole inside myself because I'm not balanced right now. Mm -hmm. But at least I know it. (laughs) Totally. Huge. That's a huge thing to be aware of it. And, And in the same way that you've always made, you know, that you've taken considerable time and sat with these mm-hmm. you know feelings like mm-hmm. I think your moves your moves and adjustments and changes and evolution of Eugene Yoga will be rooted in that yeah. same place yeah. you know like it will yeah. be rooted in faith in yourself and mm-hmm. all that good stuff yeah I'm like looking at I, I, I'm not I'm not capping your birth story in 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> it's just not happening <laughs> Um, well, it is a good one. <laughs> I know. Well, should we start it and like pause it? Whatever you want. Twenty-five. No, I think okay. our next. We're gonna do our next round. Is okay. gonna be. We're gonna start on birth story. Okay. Um, because that'll also get us to um, to our the phases of women. Mm. The phases of women conversation. Well, since I've had all three phases, I can talk. I can pro, sure talk about a that. pro. Yes, the whole menopause thing. I tell you, that has. It's been very interesting for me. 
I love it. We're going to skip baby and, and yeah. we're going to go to menopause. No, this is cool. This is cool. Yes. Just briefly, briefly. No, go. Um, I love it. Menopause. It's been really interesting how I've been able to watch myself make less confident, have less confidence in my own decisions second guess myself due to like hormone things i think so i think so yeah hot flashes were very very difficult period of of time for me and when did that start of gnarly started when i was about 54 or 5 i don't know i was still living in costa rica so it's really hot there (laughs) (laughs) so they weren't as noticeable and i think they started sort of slow Mm. but maybe with the stress of mom and Jack my brother and the job um, I'm not really sure but I there were several years where it was just like every I I ended up sleeping on two towels because every night I would soak the sheets and you know I would just be like okay well I can soak the towels that's at least then I can throw them to the floor Mm -hmm. when I wake up in the middle of the night and then I can have something to sleep on right yeah so I think all of that that loss of I don't know I mean I lost my uterus when I was 33 so I don't know why I would feel less feminine you still have ovaries I do. Yeah, well, there you go. Which they're, helps they're still some, working. Yeah, they're still working. Yeah. Um, but um, I would say menopause is probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Wow. I, I really feel that way. It, it, much harder than puberty. Much harder than parenting. Wow. Much harder than the sleeplessness of a new baby. Much harder than recovering from my surfing accident yeah menopause is very very challenging and i think particularly as we have longevity in our lives Mm -hmm. and we're working longer Mm -hmm. and we still are in some ways influenced by societal expectations of appearance absolutely um and you know, obviously, look at me. I'm not one to doctor myself up with a bunch of makeup. <laughs> no, me neither. No. Yeah. But I saw somebody outside with, you know, the full face on and putting on some bright red lipstick before she came in. And mm-hmm. she had her makeup bag open and it was just like chock full of stuff. And, yeah. And I had two thoughts. The first one was, why? <laughs> and the second one was, Valerie, don't be judgmental. <laughs> It's an observation. Yes. We, we, Damien and I joke about that. He's like, I'm like, stop being judgmental. He's like, you're being judgmental of me observing. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. I, so, I, the, God, that's kind of blowing my mind. I didn't, yeah. I was hoping you weren't going to say that. Yeah, sorry. It is so really it's, a challenging It's a ladder. Life. We're climbing. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're either going to get out before it happens or you're mm-hmm. going to experience it. There's... Mm-hmm. That a massive percentage of women um, have adverse effects during menopause. I feel like this is not talked about. No, it isn't talked about very much. You know what else isn't talked about? Hmm. How much your butt hurt. Oh, sorry. (laughs) 
but your butt hurts after you have a baby and you can't go to the bathroom. Why did they not tell me I wasn't going to be able to go to the bathroom? They wouldn't like holding myself. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep it together. But yeah, Yeah. menopause. They don't know. It's not really talked about. It's not talked about. Well, it's certainly not talked about. And I have really. I mean. I'm embarrassed to say this, but like, I haven't really talked about it with Mm -hmm. anyone. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, besides like the real stereotypical hot flashes, you know, and memory loss Mm -hmm. or like things like that. Like, I don't know, maybe uh, just personality swinging or, 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 you know, temperament swing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But gosh, I mean, I don't feel like I've talked about it at all and and it's but it's something like on my list of things that I want to be talking about because I know it's coming yes right you know and um and I feel like being in the in the sort of umbrella of the podcast like Mm -hmm. the storytelling aspect and even though it's just two of us like I, I feel like we're speaking and then we're speaking to a community. Yes. And so the conversation that we have and the like authenticity and the love in the conversation and the care and the like, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I look at you and I kind of think like, oh, we're the same. And then I'm like, well, I guess you're like an elder to me. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. And I could be your mother. <laughs> you're the same age as my son. Am I? Yeah, I am. <laughs> But and it's so cool because I because I feel like these kinds of conversations were certainly not happening between me and my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love my mother to death, but she you know comes from a different kind of world and and where these conversations are certainly not to be had in public. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. You know, but right. really not really not really had behind closed doors either yeah. because when when behind closed doors is not really comfortable it's not comfortable like this is comfortable right. um yeah. so like shedding light on your experience and going through menopause is you know is for really selfishly for me but it's also for you know for the yeah. listeners and like well I, I think as an educator I would consider um sharing my experience as an as an educational opportunity for for other people because you're right it isn't very well talked about yeah you know um i mean we talk in general terms about pelvic health and um but we don't everything escalates during menopause Hmm. so we all know that if you if you don't use it you lose it Mm. but um, you lose it so much faster mm. in menopause. So there are things that that younger women, middle-aged women can do to help reduce the effects of menopause over time. Ooh. And, um, and those are, I mean, it's basically keeping your body in shape, right? Yeah. But more than anything is to be religious about doing your Kegels exercises. Yeah. I mean, you just cannot ever let those go because yeah. if you do, bad things happen. Really? Um, and it, it also it's important for sexual health yeah. in the future, but yeah, menopause has been it's been a very challenging time. It does affect. I feel like my I I don't think I had mood swings much when I was in my teenage years, mm-hmm. um, but I certainly have had mood swings with menopause. Hmm. So way more so than before. 
But then there's also a life of accumulated stress. And although mostly very well dealt with, I, I feel fortunate as a health educator mm-hmm. with a, a background in mind-body medicine, you know, I've used a lot of techniques in my adult years to help um, mitigate stress mm-hmm. and, and to try not to have this accumulation of stress in my body and use exercise and use rock climbing and use surfing and use following my passions as a way to keep myself healthy. Yeah. Because otherwise, the choice is to keep going round and round this normal life treadmill, mm-hmm. keeping all of the frustrations of not being able to follow your own dreams bottled up inside, and then it's like this you know, mini tornado that's constantly whirling around inside yeah. your body. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's not good for your, not good for your health. It's like a breeding ground health. for, yeah. for illness. Yeah. yeah. So I think in that scenario, the effects are even worse, but uh, menopause yeah. in particular. Wow. But I do think that we should talk more about menopause. I don't think men understand well, I don't think very many people understand. I read a really interesting study a couple of days ago that about hot flashes. Yeah. And the um, the percentage of women who have hot flashes and what how much greater risk they are for heart attack and stroke. What? Yeah, it was really interesting. What is a hot flash? Like, Can we even just like what is it? What is it? What does it come from? How long does it last? <laughs> is it like a wave contraction? Like it, what? What does it feel yeah, like? Yeah, for me, it starts in. Um, well, it just it just sort of starts as a feeling of warmth that just very instantly spreads across my whole body, and then I'm like, take everything off, get me in front of a fan. You wow. know, I don't know. It's it's. A, does your actual temperature rise too, or is it like a? It has um, to. No, I don't think no. so. It's a, it's more of a sensory feeling. I don't, you know, it's not a fever state at mm. all. It's not a spike fever. Mm-hmm. It's just a sensory thing, and it's related somehow to the chemicals and what the brain is sensing. Mm. Um, I haven't really looked into the hardcore physiology. Yeah, I think they're still trying to discover exactly what a hot flash is and what wow. brings them on. Wow. Um, I uh, I don't get them very much anymore, and when I do get them, they're much, much milder than they used to be, and they last much shorter periods of time. Mm-hmm. But at their worst, they were, um, I would probably have maybe up to 10 a day, and each one would last for a minute or two, mm. um, which is plenty long time to be super hot yeah. and especially when you're in a board meeting and you can't oh my god you know caged animal yeah yeah mm. uh, I have a much greater appreciation for professional women who um, have short sleeves on underneath their jackets ah. and they take their jackets off and uh, 
in a really hot room, you know, mm-hmm. or not in a hot room, just, you just know, in a room because yeah, in a very air conditioned room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like suddenly it's... like, Oh, yes, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. and then a minute later you're putting it back on again. And wow. now, you, now I know what's going on. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And it so lasts for a minute and it, do you just feel like, fr- like you feel like frustrated, like you can't get out of this hot? Um, well, there's certainly an internal recognition of what's going on. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm having a hot flash. Right. Uh, or as someone, I forget who, some famous comedian in the past called them power surges. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah just, just the frustration of not being able to actively get release the heat because mm-hmm. it's definitely building up in there and when you don't have layers that you can peel off or a fan you know then it, it literally feels as though you're sitting on a hot beach or in a really hot un- not air-conditioned room or you're you're in your car and you know the sun's beating on and mm. the windows are closed and all you want to do is turn on the ac and you can't yeah, that's that's certainly my experience. And that would happen ten times a day. I would for say how long? Yeah, um, the worst of it was probably five or six years. Years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, years. some people have way worse symptoms. About twenty percent of women don't have any hot flashes whatsoever. Ooh. Yeah, and when I was growing, going through middle age, you know, I'm like, I'm never gonna have hot flashes. I just know it. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna happen to me. I'm gonna be one of the lucky ones. Ha ha! <laughs> I'll show you. So much for that intention. What? <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Oh, so and this, so besides hot flashes though, and this just happens all through the night. Yeah, once or twice a night, wake you up soaking wet, hot flashes, yeah. And then now when I get a hot flash in the night, I just have to, like, throw the covers back, stick my leg out, you know, 10 seconds later, I'm like, okay, okay that's enough. Yeah. So, um, oh, my God. Yeah, it's an experience. It's a real, it's a real experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely not something that you can really prepare. I mean, people can talk about it just like they can talk about the pain of childbirth. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah, they call it labor for a reason. It's right. really flipping hard. Right. <laughs> um, and it hurts a lot. Mm-hmm. And pinching your Achilles tendon yeah. does not replicate the pain. Doesn't do it. <laughs> Doesn't do it justice. Um, you can't really describe hot flashes. Right. I know. Here I am. Like, like, tell this me. this internal... Mm-hmm that gets just randomly stoked and then eventually like tampered back down and I, amazing yeah but my sister went through a pretty much very similar experience as mine huh. she's a year and a half older than me mm-hmm. no sorry two and a half years older than me mm-hmm. um and um and, and she's very happy today that she doesn't have hot flashes anymore. Nice. And I'm getting very close to to that. It being over. Yeah. Oh, I cool. I often think, oh, I'm I must be done, and then I'll have another one. It's like, oh, I guess not. <laughs> I guess we're. But still they're good. so mild now that it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so I think the small percentage of women who end up with the night sweats um, 
are it's it's a much lower percentage than the total number of women who actually experience hot flashes. So, oh, okay. Yeah, not everybody's going to go through that. Yeah. I just, for whatever reason, my mom also had them. I think my mm-hmm. grandma did. I think it's genetics. There's a genetic component. I'm going to have to ask. There must be. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Us women species, yeah. we have so much to look forward to. Well, and speaking of that, so looking forward to our next episode with you, we are going to do your birth story. A birth story. Yes. So, which was, yeah, ignorantly supposed to happen today, but I don't know how I can get everything yeah. into one. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. And I guess I would like to say, because we're in Eugene, um, if there's anything, no, we'll, we'll do that next time. We'll do it because it's going to air at a different time. So I don't want to like say anything like what's happening okay. in Eugene yoga oh, and then have and it then air have in January, right. you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. but either way, Eugene yoga is amazing and check cool. it out. Our two locations, you've got South and you've got downtown. Mm-hmm. And so, yep. Yeah. Wonderful place. 80 classes a week. 80 classes a week. Bless your heart, soul, and mind. <laughs> we did. We just we just saw a student downstairs was very yeah. complimentary. That was nice to was, see Jake. That was yeah. cool. Um, well, yeah, until next time, thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> oh, with a beat. So this is Valerie part two. And we're going to dive into birth story because last time we went on a really a lot of fun tangents or uh, meandering places that took us down to Costa Rica and um, menopause, some of our new favorite topics. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, today we're going to focus on birth story and I'm not going to say anything more. And Valerie forgot her poem, and she just mouthed it. Can you get it? Yeah, it's up in the big house. I can go get it. I'm going to push pause. Can we go get it right now? Yes. Okay. Okay. And we're back with the poem. Right, we're back with the poem. So Ben was born in 1987, and I wrote this poem in 1994 when I was in grad school. So... I'm basically a selfish person. I like to have fun, make my own way, to play, work, relax on my own terms. It's hard enough having a husband. A baby? No, I don't think so. Quick, where are the crackers? Oh God, this can't be real. Sick in the mornings, tender, smelling breasts. I don't want to believe this. But quick, where are those crackers? (laughs) What is this thing growing in me? Is it to be or not to be? How in the world did I lose control? What should I do? No, I don't think so. My body is no longer my own. Resentment builds. Oh, what was that? A flutter, a kick. Resentment is forgotten. Excitement builds. It's a boy. I sit and watch my belly undulate as I grow, swell, grow. What will he be like? What will I be like? There's so much to get ready, so short the time. 
Now it's done, and I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh no, I think this is it. Here it comes again, again, and again. I'm tired. I hurt. I don't want to play this game anymore. Can I send him back? <laughs> no, I don't think so. My sleeping boy lies in my arms. I am overcome with emotions. The pain is gone. It is replaced by warmth, excitement, joy, happiness. Warmth. Close your eyes. Feel the sun streaming all over you. This is how I feel when he hugs me close, climbs in my lap, rests his head on my shoulder. Excitement? Close your eyes. Feel your heart beat faster, faster. This is how I feel when he shares his expanding world with me, when he masters a new skill, when he shows his artistry. Joy? Close your eyes. Feel the power of the waves wash over you. This is how I feel when we're close, side by side, reading to each other, across a room, catching glances, tossing love back and forth like a great wave. Happiness? Close your eyes. Feel the tired muscles around your mouth from the permanent smile. This is how I feel when we play together, work together, laugh together, share. Pain, close your eyes. Feel the lump in your gut when someone you love is hurt. This is how I feel when he is hurting, a physical stab. His pain is mine. It's so intense. Close your eyes. Double, triple, quadruple the warmth, excitement, joy, happiness, pain. You aren't even close. A baby, a child, a life to nurture. My son, a dream turned into reality. How did I get so lucky? I hold him in my arms. We talk, we share, we grow together. I am his, he is mine, we are us. We are of one heart. I'm basically a selfish person. I like to have fun, make my own way, play, work, relax on my own terms. It's much harder without Ben in my life. Not have him in my life? No, no think so. I didn't think I would cry so much. <laughs> I haven't read it aloud in a really long time. Drop page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. I really, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, I really didn't, didn't know if I would go through with it. But I'm awfully glad I did. <laughs> anyway. Wow. So that's phenomenology. I was going to say, <laughs> as you were reading it, I was like, oh, she's yeah. doing it to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the assignment was to try to produce something that would evoke a response. And so that's where this warmth, excitement, joy, happiness, pain Part comes from. Have you brought that to your class, your yoga class? No. Wow. 
That would be really something to share with students. Yeah, I've not really shared it with very many people, but I really like it. <laughs> uh, we just shared it with quite yeah, a few I'm here. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank anyway. you for that. Did that take you a long time to write, or did it just kind of flow out of you? Like, um, I think it took a couple of days. I think it... You know, I wrote it in response to an assignment, and so I, I had to try and figure out mm-hmm. how was I going to try to evoke feeling. Yeah. Um, but that's really important, and I know I said I wasn't going to say anything, but I need that assignment for this podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Because often I ask myself, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. what is my assignment like because that is exactly that is the message that yeah. is the message yeah that is the message yeah. amazing yeah anyway so tell us about okay bring it back a couple more story. years yeah backing up so 1986 um i was teaching school and uh, well, I got pregnant. Where, where are we? <laughs> oh, we were in Australia. We were in Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, Canberra. Canberra. Um, and Dawn was an athlete at the Institute of Sport, and I was in my very first year of teaching, um, and I was teaching dance studies and human movement studies, two really awesome two-year-long courses that basically a junior college, even though it was for juniors and seniors in high school, it operated just like a junior college. So anyway, I was teaching, and it was coming up to the end of the year, and um, I got pregnant. Yeah, it's like ah. So uh, and the whole part about the crackers—that's really true. It's like where's the sol- the saltines in the morning? That's it. I didn't have really bad morning sickness, and it didn't last for very long. Mm-hmm. But uh, for those few weeks, I just I really devoured the saltines <laughs> in the morning. That was the only thing that even was remotely. Good sounding to me, and it worked. <laughs> Anyhow, it's amazing how you get something yeah. and it works. Yeah. So, um, were you practicing any sort of like uh, moon cycle counting or anything to 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 try and not get pregnant, or was it almost just yeah. like, oh, if it happens, it happens? No, because I had been on the pill for years, and so I went off the pill. On, and, but we weren't. I, I went off the pill mostly because. We thought we might want to have children, and Sometimes. it's a good idea to get all the chemicals out of your body. And I was becoming less um, traditional um, and maybe you know a little more alternative in my approach to medicine and health and things like that. And um, uh, I just I got pregnant a lot faster than I really. So I was like trying to avoid the fertile period, right. basically, counting days, yeah. <clears throat> measuring mucus, that's mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's see, so the birth story itself, um, I taught, Ben was three days late, I taught right up till uh, like two or three days before he was born, um, because I felt good, I, you know, after the morning sickness, I just, I had a dream pregnancy, I just mm. got really big, gained <laughs> 50 pounds, <Wow. laughs> almost all of it was water, Yeah. 
uh, and it went away very quickly. But anyway, so I just remember he was three days late, and I was like, oh, all right, already. <laughs> Can you please, like, exit? <laughs> but then, of course, once the contractions start, Stay you're like, there. Oh, Stay there. <laughs> and you, don't you ever touch me again. <laughs> Um, Don was, he was a big support through all of it. Um, mm-hmm. But let's see, I went into labor. I think I felt my first real, like, this is for sure a contraction at about 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm. And about 6 o'clock in the evening, um, we, my water broke. Mm-hmm. And we went to, so we went to the hospital, and they measured me, and they said, oh, you're doing great, you're fine. Nine o'clock, um, I was at nine centimeters, and oh, this is you're doing really well. You know, it's only been 12 hours, first birth. You know, you're nine centimeters already, baby will be born by midnight. An hour later, I'm still at nine centimeters. Another hour later, I'm still at nine centimeters. And I'm by this time, I'm saying, I can tell something's not right. I don't know what it is, but I know something's not right. Can you call the doctor? So the interesting little tweak here is that my doctor had been on vacation for the last six weeks of my pregnancy. Wow. And I loved her. Anne Hosking is her name. Mm-hmm. And she was just such an amazing woman. I, I just loved her. And I didn't want anybody but her to deliver my baby. And I was in the care of a male obstetrician while she was on vacation. Mm-hmm. She had to convince me to see this guy because I don't like... I had a really, really negative experience with a male gynecologist in, in, uh, when I was in college. Mm. And so I just refused to see a male for anything related to gynecology. Yeah. Um, until Dr. Alden... Uh, Al, I think his name was Alden or Alder... Anyway... Uh, so he looked after me the last six weeks of my pregnancy. Dr. Hosking was due back in the office on Monday, August 17th. Mm-hmm. And Ben was born on, at 5 in the morning on Tuesday, August 18th. Right. So the first night she was back from vacation, I'm like, call a doctor. Here I am. <laughs> call a doctor. And they're like, no, we don't need to call her. You're fine. You're fine. And... Uh, Finally, at around, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning or something, I was still nine centimeters and just in so much pain. And she, so they called her. She came in at two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I just, I still remember her walking in the room, this sense of relief that came over me when I saw her face. And uh, she, she looked at me. She said something like, hello, or something like that. And then right away, she said, you look like you could use a little help. <laughs> I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> so I had an epidural. Um, I had tried a little bit of the nitrous, but it was horrible. It made me sick. I didn't Ooh. want to have anything to do with it. I didn't want to take the anything else because I didn't want Ben to have any chemical or, you know, yeah. anything. So um, she gave me an epidural and said, you rest for a couple of hours. I'll come back, and um, we're going... So she examined me and found out or diagnosed that what I had was called a deep transverse arrest. So Ben Ben was basically 
his spine was should have been out, but instead it was against mine. Mm -hmm. But she said often what happens is the baby will turn on their way down the birth canal mm -hmm. in order to get the smallest part of their head where it can push, push, push. Well, Ben didn't turn all the way, mm -hmm. and so he was stuck with his whole crown of his head, not just the point of it. Right. So deep transverse arrest. So he's basically stuck sideways. Mm -hmm. um, and so she said, what we're going to do after you've had a chance to relax for a little bit, let your body get a little bit of rest, then we're just going to push him back in and give him a little bit of a turn, and then he'll come right out and everything will be great. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that sounds good to me, especially <laughs> after I had the epidural because, mm -hmm. you know. I was feeling much better by then. Mm -hmm. You can just feel the pressure. You can't feel the pain anymore. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the other funny part of it is we happen to be in a teaching hospital. Mm. And so she said, you know, this isn't something that very many people get to see very often. So would you mind if I gathered up the residents who were here on the night shift and they could like, oh, I'm like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> feeling a lot different. Yeah, feeling a lot different now. And as a teacher, I yeah. thought that, it, you know, well, why not share this experience if it could help somebody in the future? Absolutely. So I had a, a little parade of residents come in and check out what a deep transverse arrest looked and felt like. <laughs> and did, so did that didn't make you nervous? or anything? You felt so comfortable because your doctor was there. Yeah. Because she was... Because she's an amazing person, yeah. and I just trusted her so much. Yeah. And, and as an educator myself, I mm -hmm. felt like, you know... Pay it forward. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. do you think that had the male obstetrician, Mr. Dr. Alder... And yeah, he asked the same thing. You know, that's a really. I just. I don't know. It's hard. To I doubt back. it. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a very compassionate man, and I'm sure yeah. he probably would have delivered Ben just fine. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I've always thought that if it were him, I would have been for. I would have been sent for a C-section. Right. But because it was her, mm. and I, I believe that she did say. We could send you for a C. I mean, we could take you up and, and deliver with a C-section if mm -hmm. you want to. If you want to take that option here, this other option is this pushing him up and turning him. You know, and I'm yeah. like, let's go for the natural birth. I don't want the um, C-section if I don't have to have it. Yeah. And so um, at you know five thirty in the morning or something, uh, doctor came back. My uh, nurse midwife was there, Bronwyn, and a couple of other nursing staff, and Don, and myself, of course. Um, and they put the monitor on my belly, the heart rate monitor, and so you could hear it in the room. Ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. Ba you know, that's pretty fast. Yeah. 120, 130 beats mm -hmm. per minute. And everybody's doing their thing, and I remember also in childbirth education, our um, midwife educator told us, you know, of the seven of you here, you know, two of you are going to have C-sections, and one of you is going to end up in with your legs in stirrups and the green drapes, and I'm like, not me, and there I am with my feet in the stirrups with the green sterile drapes. <laughs> um, 
But so she's down there getting ready to do this push thing and, and turn him around. And all of a sudden it goes boom, 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 boom. And I'll never forget, like every professional in the room, I think there were three of them, froze in place and turned their heads. And then Dr. Hosking looked at me and she said, He's ready to come out now. So it's like battle stations, right? <laughs> Forceps, turn, yank. Mm. And his apgar, they do apgars here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, his apgar was three or four. It was mm-hmm. pretty low. Mm-hmm. But right away he was fine. As soon mm-hmm. as he'd been out for, you know, because they took him and took him straight over to the little um, thing under the heat lamp. Mm-hmm. and he wasn't premature or anything like that. Yeah. He just it was a traumatic birth. He got stuck. And he got stuck, and mm-hmm. he was stuck for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Poor little guy. Poor little guy. Yeah. Stuck for like nine hours. Yeah. So, but the cord was fine. Everything was fine. There was a little bit of meconium in the amniotic fluid, but it was fine in the end. Yeah. But it was just. Those few hours of no, first of all, knowing somehow inside myself something was wrong, mm-hmm. and the nurses not responding as quickly as I had wanted them to. Mm-hmm. But also, Dr. Hosking's first night back, they really didn't want to bother her. They thought that it yeah. would be fine, but it wasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but the energetic shift when she enters the room is really cool yeah she yeah you know Mm -hmm. and the level of trust there Mm -hmm. between the two of you she was really an amazing doctor um i think i think that there's probably a handful of people in my life that i've felt had me like held me so completely and she's one of them for sure she tested me. Um, I was overdue for a pap smear when I got pregnant. And she did a, a pap smear. Even though I was pregnant, she said, mm-hmm. well, we'll just do it anyway because you're overdue. And, you know, it came back abnormal. But she said, don't worry about it. And often it's not a problem. Uh, we'll just do another one after Ben's born. So at my six-week check, she did another one. And it also came back abnormal. So she said, well, we're going to do another test in three months because we need to make sure that the hormones are settled down and, you know, this is probably not a big deal. But we're just not going to wait another year. We're going to have you come back in three months. So that was when um, Ben was like five and a half months old was when I went back for that second um, postpartum pap smear. And for some reason, she said, you know, just, we're going to do a pap smear, but as long as I have you on the table, I'm just going to go get my colposcopy camera um, and just take a look. Because you're here, and I don't know, this seems like the right thing to do. So she did, and they do this stain thing, and she looks through this camera, and sure enough, she found a polyp, a growth, on my cervix. So she biopsied it. And, you know, again, she's being very, like, oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. But a couple of days later, her nurse called and said, Dr. Hosking would like you to come back in tomorrow, and can you please bring Ben and Dawn with you? 
which for to me was like Ooh, yeah really like scary yeah because I knew I was going to get my results I was not prepared for her to tell me that it was cancer yeah. um, and uh, I wonder if they would do the same thing in this country if they asked for the family to come in I don't know I don't know either I don't think that they would have taken the step to do a colposcopy though yeah I think that they would have just done the pap smear mm -hmm. and um, if it came back abnormal you know repeat in three months repeat mm -hmm. in three months yeah but as it turns out the sort of tumor that I had was a really specialized adenosquamous epithelial something or I don't know can't remember exactly a mouthful um, but a pretty rare cancer um, caused by a virus they think probably I had it in my body my whole life there's no way of knowing I could have gotten it from my mother mm -hmm. um, but it's just a small virus that lives in these very specific cells but because during pregnancy the immune system kind of shuts down a little bit mm -hmm. in the reproductive area this collection of cells was able to proliferate mm. and um, unfortunately uh, it grew big enough, fast enough during the pregnancy and those couple months after that they felt like they had to do a full hysterectomy on me. Mm. So that was all really scary as well uh, because Ben was barely six months old. Well, he was, the, the surgery was on February 19th. It was a Friday. And Ben's six-month birthday was the day before, February 18th. In 1988. So I gave him his last breastfeed on his six-month birthday. And then I couldn't feed him anymore because they were injecting dye and things because they did this whole scan of my body to make sure that there wasn't any other cancer anywhere else. Um, and that would give them an idea of how many lymph nodes they had to take out and in what parts of the body they might have to do further treatment. But in my case, it was... Um, the tumor turned out to be relatively small, just large enough for them to consider it invasive and therefore need to do a full hysterectomy, but not so large that it was metastasizing anywhere else. So I was very fortunate in that respect. Wow. But that just, you know, the point of that story really is that how, how well Dr. Hosking held me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a, there's another part though, right? Like in the day of the surgery? Oh, you mean the woman? Yeah. Oh, no, this was a couple of days after the surgery. Let's see. So I was lucky. I was in a, um, a really nice hospital. Dr. Hosking didn't want to do the surgery, so she sent me to Sydney, and Dr. Uh, Murray did the surgery. And, um... Let's see, doesn't, Dr. Murray doesn't really have anything to do with this. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Anyway, it, it's just kind of moving because we all had private rooms on this floor. Of course, you know, socialized medicine, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but across the hall from me was a woman that I, it, I was in, in uh, for five days after the surgery. And so I kind of, you know, you'd see the other women, and this 
woman was across the hall from me and somehow we struck up a conversation. And she disclosed to me, because I was feeling very sorry for myself, mm-hmm. um, she disclosed to me that she and her husband had voluntarily terminated two previous pregnancies. And the, this pregnancy was, uh, she was four months along, approximately, um, was a planned pregnancy. But she was also diagnosed with a very aggressive tumor and um, they felt that in order to save her life, they had to give her uh, a hysterectomy right away. And so she wasn't, she, she lost this planned child after voluntarily losing two others. Mm. And she, uh, she was devastated. And I stopped feeling sorry for myself pretty quickly because mm-hmm. <laughs> I had this beautiful six-month-old baby boy. Mm-hmm. The only bad thing that happened to him was that he got a little bit of thrush on his <laughs> chin from being in the hospital. Yeah. Hospitals are not good places for babies. Oh, when you were <laughs> in your surgery, yeah, you got yeah, thrush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hospital's tough for little yeah. guys. Yeah. That's it's yeah. really... The perspective is... It's so interesting. Yeah, it... Because it's not that you weren't in a difficult spot, because you were. Mm. I mean, that was a pretty difficult spot. And then, But then, like, when you just yeah. kind of broaden your spectrum or, you know, open up a little bit and see, mm-hmm. then you can, yeah, like, see the silver lining or whatever, you know, like... Just be grateful be for... Be grateful. Um being grateful that I didn't do this, you know, yeah. grateful that I went through with it, and um, I didn't seriously consider an abortion. I considered an abortion, but mm-hmm. I didn't seriously, like, I didn't make any phone calls mm-hmm. to find out how does this work or sure, what do I do but I thought about it yeah. yeah and I yeah. think a lot of I think a lot of women have thought mm-hmm. about it you know mm-hmm. I mean it's a big deal right yeah. you you take on you take on this life and but it's an amazing amazing gift mm-hmm. at the same time but for her and her husband um, you know I just my heart mm-hmm. my heart broke for them yeah. because so difficult so difficult mm-hmm. wow yeah. started with heavy and we ended with heavy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well great well we'll have more from Valerie um, in a next episode because gosh we just have we have more to talk about um, well menopause is definitely a whole nother thing menopause is a whole nother yeah. thing and and I was uh, listening to our part one, and we oh. we really we <laughs> Valerie and I both so dance background mm-hmm. evolved to like kinesiology type of background mm-hmm. evolved to yoga teacher, <laughs> which we both have this sort of common thread, yeah. and uh, so we're a bit obsessed with physicality. Yes, yeah. <laughs> maybe a little. <laughs> and so we talked a lot about the physicality, yeah. and then like the second we turned the recording off, we then talked about some of the emotional components mm. but I don't even think we can get into that right now because yeah. I think that's what our next our next conversation should be yeah okay that sounds good because what's our time it's uh 140 1240 because you have a two o'clock I have a two o'clock yeah
So I, I think to really give it, I think we give Ben and you and Dr. Hastings? Hosking. Hosking. Yeah. Dr. Hosking. And Hosking. You guys get that yeah. fat chunk of time. She, she was amazing. She was pretty ready, almost ready to retire. <laughs> um, so I'm, I have no idea what's up with her now. Yeah. You know, she may have departed for another realm, but yeah. she saved my life for sure. Yeah. She was she was a pretty cool lady. Super cool. Yeah. And just the experience of all of that happening in Australia. Uh-huh. Can you speak a little bit, I guess, more about that? Just about, like... Have you have you had experience in the medical world in the states? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, the whole oh god, the arm laceration, fin thing, and what a mess that was. And mm-hmm. two surgeries, so stupid infighting between insurance companies, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know the only one suffering is my arm right. as a result. You know. Right. But in Australia. Um, the support system that they have for parents there, especially moms, is incredible. Mm. Incredible. Mm. And um, they have baby health clinics all over the place. So just a couple of blocks from my house was the baby health clinic. Mm. And um, so the experience of actually delivering was was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that my total bill for the delivery and deep transverse arrest, five days in the hospital, because after a couple of days I was ready to go home, and they said, oh, no, 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 no. When you go home, there's nobody to help you. You stay here and let us help you for another few days, yeah. right? Like getting to nurse and yeah. all of mm-hmm. that. All yeah. of that, boy. Here, they kick you out in 24 oh, hours. Absolutely. They turn that bed. Mm-hmm. So you felt... So um, I felt really, really supported. I remember one time, I think this was very sage advice, uh, I woke up... So the baby in Royal Canberra Hospital, where Ben was born, um, and I think it's pretty common in Australia, baby is left with mom most of the time. Yeah. And I woke up from asleep in the middle of the night and he wasn't there you know so they'll come and if mom's sleeping they let her sleep and they take the baby down to the nursery Mm -hmm. so I got up and I went down to the nursery to get him I think probably because my breasts were ready to burst or Mm -hmm. something um and the lights are on every single light in the nursery is on and the music's playing and the babies are all sleeping and I get, I get in there I'm like what are you doing why didn't you like calm and she says no 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 there is no calm when baby sleeps yeah. when you take Ben home you make sure that when he's sleeping if you're not sleeping you're vacuuming yes or <laughs> banging things, mm-hmm. you know, you make noise, because that way, they can sleep. he will always sleep, yeah. no matter where you take him, Yeah. and and I did, I had this little hand carrier, and I, we took him everywhere, Yeah. we took him, we took him skiing, <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny story, mm. um, we bought, we bought one lift ticket, and we shared the jacket, so we would each, you know, we would kind of take turns with him. But at lunchtime, we had him in his little carrier. I put him on top of the 
um, display counter and we got our sandwiches and whatnot and then we walked out and we were eating our sandwiches and all of a sudden I'm like oh my god where's the baby <laughs> you left him on the counter I, left <laughs> I went back in and she said I knew you'd be back <laughs> I mean it wasn't very long it right was, it was know. probably three minutes yeah exactly yeah. but it was like oh my god I forgot my baby <laughs> well I've never had one before you know oh, no. it's pretty oh funny gosh, but anyway where was I going with that um uh, oh, being in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really the most amazing advice that she gave me to just lots of light, lots of noise. Don't worry about it. Let them yeah. learn to sleep so that you can live your life because yeah. your life shouldn't change because there's a baby. Right. Your life should be supplemented by baby, yeah. not radically changed. Right. And um, so... For what that's worth, mm-hmm. I think that that's really important. So yeah, I had five days in the hospital. My total bill was sixty three dollars. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, sixty three dollars. Six three point point zero zero sixty three dollars for five wow. days in the hospital with a complicated birth. Yep. Drop yeah. the mic again. Uh huh. Uh-huh. That's amazing. Wow. Um, but then the other piece that's really cool is. Every week, you take your baby down to the uh, baby health clinic mm-hmm. in your local suburb, mm-hmm. and the the nurse is there. It's always a nurse, and they weigh and measure and talk to you about how is your lactation going. I had really, really badly cracked nipples. Oh, mm. my God. It was so painful to nurse. The nurse came to my house every single day wow. for like 10 days in a row. Wow. Until the um, little plastic shield things that we were using, uh-huh. Ben was able to latch on and just make it all work. And then she would just come and help and like reposition and, wow. and you know, I mean, and it hurt so bad. Oh my god, it mm. hurt. You know. Um, wow. And then you you had a midwife. I did have a mid. Yeah. Mid- and what was that relationship like? Um, she was great. Like, did you, when did it start? Mm. How many months into your pregnancy or? Well, the midwife that was leading our, um, childbirth education wasn't the same midwife that helped to liver bend. Okay. So this was like, she was yeah, in the hospital. I was, she happened to be in the hospital Got it. and, uh, she, mm, I don't know. She was probably working the seven uh, three to no eleven to seven. Mm-hmm. And now it changed. No, oh no, she was in the evening, and she stayed on. Mm. She was there when I got there, at Bronwyn, mm-hmm. and she stayed on through. Even though her shift ended, I think at eleven, she stayed on with me, which was really cool. Yeah, that she is was very cool. sweet. I still see her face. And she was like in just like sort of support mode, kind of like a doula maybe would be in Yeah. She she was a like my main attendant, my yeah. main helper person, besides okay. Dawn of course. Right. And she did all the measuring and monitored the heart rate and did oh, all so the she charting. Did everything. And she did everything she did except everything. for when Doctor how she and She's the one who decided when to call the doctor. Okay. So there were other nurses in the OBGYN and the um, OB ward. Uh-huh. There were so she was a nurse midwife. Got it. I don't know how that translates to how they have them here. The as positions well. here, yeah. but there's quite a few different types of midwives. Yeah. 
there's nurse midwives, there's professional midwives, there's there's all kinds of different. So she was a nurse midwife. She didn't go. She didn't do nursing anywhere else. She only did at the hospital. Yeah, yeah. That's cool though. And so had had it not required forceps, had you just like had the baby, Mm -hmm. she would have delivered the baby. Could have been. Could have been. Like, yeah. could have just been. Mm-hmm. Like, if there was no reason to call the doctor, yeah. nothing was going wrong, everything just popped out yeah. just like it was supposed to, then, yeah, then the doctor would have, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, because, I wonder. I wonder yeah. if she would have just been like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah. I imagine so. I imagine Maybe. that's the... Or it could have been that if I was fully dilated and my contractions were getting faster and, you know, more progressing like a normal birth, mm-hmm. maybe they would have called the doctor when there yeah. was, you know, they probably have some protocol Definitely. in place. Yeah. yeah. If you, we call at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could even be that it, they would just let whoever was resident mm-hmm. um, take care of the birth if it yeah. wasn't anything that required. I, I, yeah, I really don't know. Yeah. But I do know that Dr. Hosking came in at 2 a.m. and took one look at me and said... It's really all that matters in your story. You could help. <laughs> that is your yes, story. Please. I need help. Oh, I thought it was so... really cool that she was going to push him in and turn him and pull him back out again. And, yeah. and that plan worked pretty well, except yeah. for when his heart rate dropped, then she had to do the forceps and yeah. pull him out pretty fast. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I do. I believe that that is like there's some midwives that have done that mm. technique. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely there's some. Yeah, probably all over the world. You know, they yeah. can they can if mom gets into that mode where like something's not right. Uh-huh. I think that's a pretty classic. Like let's yeah. let's try to help facilitate right. the rotation. But um, I think they couldn't have done it without the epidural. Maybe. Because the epidural just allows you to relax enough. And, you mm-hmm. know, when your when your contractions are coming. Yeah, pretty quickly, and you don't have very much time in between. Totally, there's there's so much clamping down happening, so it's harder to push back. I think that's yeah. I vaguely remember some discussion about it, or her explaining it to me after or something. I'm not not sure. Yeah, but so I think the to to go back to your question about the medical care, mm-hmm. I just I feel like the whole support system there is is so much stronger um, with lactation support and the baby health clinics and the extra time that I was given in in hospital Mm -hmm. um just all of it made it an amazing experience that's really cool I feel super fortunate to even though it was a you know sort of more of a high-risk birth Mm -hmm. um I feel like I was managed as well as I could possibly have been yeah that's so good. Yeah. That's such a good... And you and Ben's relationship, I think, you know, I think it's sort of... It, there's definitely a component of how how well you did and how well you were supported, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and then... And so, like, he trusted you instantly, you right, know? I like, think, yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's a really intriguing question and one that's difficult to research. Yeah. But... Um, there's some really amazing studies that are coming out now about childhood trauma and adult health. Yeah. And, um, and so I guess I would probably say Ben 
Ben had a, that was probably as much trauma as he had, mm-hmm. the actual birth, mm-hmm. um, except for when he burnt his arm, the poor little guy, when he was 10 months old, he got a pretty bad scald from coffee on his arm. Oh. Um, yeah, so he's had a pretty good life. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Well, thank you for sharing, and um, I look forward to our uh, menopause conversation. That'll be our next, yeah, and we can put our heads together for that, you know, Mm -hmm. for questions. questions Yeah, and kind of guide us. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, for those of you in Eugene, check out Valerie... She's gonna get on the schedule at Eugene Yoga at some point soon here, but she is owning and operating um, an incredible two brick and mortar yoga studio locations south and downtown. So check it out. Um, Come and visit. Come and take our prenatal at eleven thirty on Saturday. Yes, Jennifer, she's amazing. Jennifer, she is amazing. That is an amazing class. Yeah. Even if you're not pregnant and you're thinking about if you ever got pregnant or... I just feel like as a woman, I mean, that class is really cool. Mm -hmm. She does a lot of subtle body things and speaks to to that Mm -hmm. maternal place. Yeah. Awesome. Well, until next time, thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Valerie. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this wonderful conversation with Valerie Morris. Be sure, um, if you're here in Eugene, to check out Eugene Yoga at some point when the world allows us to convene again in public spaces. Incredible studio, incredible teachers. Uh, Jennifer Jameson, one of the most incredible yoga teachers, I think, here in Eugene. Um, Definitely hit up her class and Valerie as well and anyway um, let's see up next is gonna be uh, Britt and Casey a this will be my first podcast um, with um, partners with husband and wife and their story of the birth of their first child Tegan who is a good friend of my little Wolfie Um, she was born September the 10th just two days before Wolf Bear. So, um, man, it's a really fun conversation, and um, I hope you guys tune in. All right. Until next time, peace, plants, birth, death, life.